This happened a long time ago. I was nine years old, and this is 1966. I was raised in a, a large Catholic family. I was very devout Catholic at the time, and I actually thought I was going to become a priest. And my near-death experience happened as a result of a martial arts accident. It was at school, one day after school, beautiful spring day. We were coming out of the school and coming down the sidewalk where all the moms were coming and pulling up in their cars to pick the kids up. And I was walking with my friend Peter. He was taking judo lessons and he had learned to do a, I don't know what he called it, like a judo roll or something like that, or a throw, where he would take his opponent and roll them over his shoulder and, and lie them flat on the ground, which sounded pretty cool to me. It was like, oh, cool, show me. So he did that, but it was on concrete. This was not a judo mat. And Peter didn't know what he was doing. So he took me and he rolled me over his shoulder, but something went very wrong. And I was thrown head first into the concrete and I hit that concrete hard. I took a pretty good blow to the head. It was like a lightning bolt of pain, like exploded in my head and down to my toes and it consumed me. And so I kind of climbed to my feet. I started to run, turned around, ran back onto the playground, headed for the nurse's office. And that's where I lost consciousness. I uh, collapsed and uh, I hit my head on the pavement again, kind of opened up my forehead pretty good. And I lost consciousness, but there was no break in my awareness. I was here and then I was not. And the most difficult to explain is that time and space disappeared at that point. There was no time. There was only just right now. And that's kind of disorienting. It's a beautiful state of mind to be in, but it's hard to explain. And I didn't feel like I was still Raymond. I was aware, but I wasn't Raymond. I was like a floating sphere of awareness. And I can only describe that feeling as a perpetual unfolding of now. It's like if I could light a candle and you're looking at the candle flame and it's just perpetually burning. It's right in that present moment, which is actually very liberating. It, it was wonderful. But because of that, I didn't remember the accident. There was no past. And also, there was no time, but there was no space either. And I can only describe this first part as a void. There was no light. There was no dark. There was no gravity. There was no sensations. It was just like nothing. So I'm here in this state of awareness and I was trying to figure out what was going on. I could still, I wouldn't call it thinking because it wasn't words. Like when we have a dialogue going in our heads, it wasn't that. It was more like emotions. But I couldn't grab on. I had no reference point to anchor myself to, to know who I was, 
what was happening. And I didn't remember the accident and it was a very chaotic feeling. And I started getting scared. And as the fear ramped up, it started getting kind of out of control. I felt like, okay, I'm losing it here. And then I, I came to kind of a realization that I've lost my mind. I'm going crazy. You know, that's what's happening. I've gone crazy. And it kind of made sense to me. So the next thought I had, or emotion I had, I should say, was if I'm going crazy, if I've lost my mind, there's nothing I can do about it. And that was when I released. I just let go. And as I let go, the pleasurable sensation started there. Peace and tranquility and quiet and relaxation and contentment, those kinds of emotions. And then they started ramping up stronger and stronger and stronger to a state of utter bliss. It was so beautiful. And I somehow became aware of a point of white light. And I don't know how I knew that, but I knew I had to go toward the light. And as I did that, the light got bigger and more beautiful and more intense until it utterly absorbed me. And I was the white light. It was infinite love. I mean, that, that's a big word, infinite. It was so perfect and complete. It was like wave after wave of cleansing white love. And it was just utterly liberating. It was beautiful. It helps me to close my eyes. I can go kind of right there when I do it. It was so perfect. And things that I would see weren't actually things. It was more like everything was made out of light. And everything was alive. It was very real. But in an experience like this, it's experiential. So words don't really say it. There was no time or space. But time and space are built right into our language. And so it sounds like a series of events and that I was somewhere in a place, but it wasn't like that. So I have no sense of how long it was or because that just didn't exist. So here I am getting washed and cleansed in the white light. And I became aware of some sort of floating sphere of awareness like me. It was another being. It was my dog, Skippy, who had died a few years before. Now, remember, I didn't remember the accident. None of this was making sense. But it was my dog, Skippy. And now he didn't have fur and a tail and a tongue. Yeah, he had no body. But he was a floating sphere of awareness like me. And I recognized it as Skippy, and he recognized me. And we were communicating. It was like telepathic and perfect communication. And it was love. It was Skippy. Oh, I love you. I love you. What's, where are we? What's, 
what's happening? And he was loving me right back. We kind of, we absorbed each other and became this, the same being. And there was a, another presence of some kind, a floating sphere of awareness, but this one was more complicated. It was a masculine presence, which is hard to explain because there's no gender there. I didn't have a body, but he knew me. And he said, come here, I want to show you some things. And then he absorbed me. We became one. And I experienced what I could only call a download. It was like billions of questions were answered in just a moment, instantly. And I understood. I understood everything how the universe works, what our purpose is, all, everything made perfect sense to me. And it was not like I learned anything. It was more like remembering. I already knew it. And I wish that I could bring some of that back with me. I, I don't think I can, it's not that I don't remember, I just, there are no words for, for that because words are, they're just symbols. They're not the actual thing. So I'm not sure I could explain or give you anything from that download, but I understood it. That was the important part. And this being that absorbed me, I, I don't have a name for this being. I don't know what it was, but he said, Raymond, I want to show you who you really are. And it opened up again to another level. It was like the entire universe opened up and shimmered in front of me. And the white light was alive. It was living love, if that's possible. So it was like everything opened up again. This is the most exquisite part. Imagine you're like the Hubble Space Telescope. You're up in space and you've focused in on a galaxy. Little points of light all swirling around and swirling around to a hot, intense, glowing center. I was one of those points of light and there was an infinite number of them. They were all alive and we were all connected it was like one thing, one being. This was God. But when I used the name God or the word God, it's probably not what you're thinking. And I'm not religious at all. But somewhere in the Bible, I can't remember where this is, I saw a passage where God was referring to him herself as I am that I am which is perfect because God is like a proper noun. I am that I am is a verb. And that's what it was like. Everything was an action. And each of those little points of light was like every titsy fly, every human being who had ever lived. And I was one of those points of light and we were all connected and we were, Singing, I mean, I can, there was music, but 
it makes music as we understand it pretty weak in comparison. This was living and breathing and had color and dimension and all encompassing. It was alive. The music was alive. And we were singing to one another. We we're all singing this, what, what I can only call, it was like worship. It was like worship. And the song was, We love you. We are love. It was so beautiful. I can kind of go right there. And somehow we told me, it's not your time, you have to go back. But it wasn't words. And I didn't really know what back meant. I didn't have any memory of the accident, but I knew that whatever was happening was like gonna be something other than <laughs> this intense, beautiful, blissful experience. Was, you, know, you gotta go back. And it was like, I just said no. I am not going to go back. And I threw a temper tantrum. <laughs> I did. I said, no way. I'm not going back. Then I was reassured. We reassured me that it's okay. You can come back anytime you want. Anytime. Once you've fulfilled your purpose, which I got. I got it. And I used to say that I was returned to my body, but it wasn't like that. It felt like reality was reassembled itself. I've tried to think of like a visual. Say you're gonna make a fruit smoothie and you got your blender here, your fruit, and you're putting the bananas and apples and, it, and it's blending up until it's a liquid. Now. Imagine if you could watch it in reverse. It turned from liquid back to solid, and it was more like reassembling reality. And then I was back on the school playground in terrible pain. I opened my eyes and I saw the emergency technicians circled around me, and my head was packed in ice. And I opened my eyes and I went, no. And I closed my eyes and I tried to go back as hard as I could. I'm going back, but someone saw me open my eyes and they're slapping me in the face. You know, wake up, Raymond. Don't go back to sleep. Wake up, wake up. There was a bunch of medical stuff that happened. I was taken to the hospital. My mother was the director of nursing at the hospital that they took me to. So here's what I know about what she told me was when she got the first phone call that Raymond's had an accident, he's not breathing. To the second phone call she got, he's breathing again, that was 12 minutes. So I'm not sure how long I was actually out, but I know that. The emergency, the fire department was very close, like a block or two away. So they were on the scene really quick. And uh, I got banged up pretty good. I had a bad concussion. Which, you know, head injuries are funny things. I mean, even today, I can still feel it. My memory is like random and unpredictable sometimes, and that happened as a result of that accident. But the part that was most difficult for me was afterwards. I had this incredibly profound spiritual experience, and I had nothing to compare it to. 
So it was pretty confusing for me and traumatic too. So we're in the hospital. I was trying to explain to my mom what happened. And she was a good Catholic mom. She said, well, Raymond, you know, the brain's a funny thing. It can do some funny things. You took a hard blow to the head. And I'm going, no, mom, this was real. This really happened. She was concerned. So she reassured me at that time that I'll set up a meeting with the parish priest and we'll work through this. And I thought, okay. And again, I tried to tell him what, what happened. And his interpretation of this was, he said, I think this was probably a trick of Satan. And that really frightened me. I was like, I had been possessed by the devil. And I remember also having this thought, if the devil's that good, I don't have a chance. I'm not gonna make it. That frightened me pretty bad. And remember, I thought I was gonna be a priest. So there were some direct conflicts. It was very spiritual. I, you know, I met, I am that I am, all of that. But it wasn't what they were teaching me at Catholic school. So I learned really early on not to talk about it because the near-death experience wasn't really a thing at that time. I had no way to know what it was that happened, and I just took that fear, and I just, I psychologically packaged up this near-death experience, and I put it away. I put it out of my mind, and I never processed it as a kid. And it wasn't until, you know, much later, in my 20s, I think, before I read a magazine article, and I was reading about a near-death experience that was remarkably similar to mine, and it just kind of came gushing out. I, I, it all came out again. I said, oh, this is a thing. This happens. But some people say that it's the dying brain, and you're hallucinating this stuff. Maybe, but what is a hallucination? I, I kind of... After going through that, I think I have a looser definition of reality than a lot of people. This thing that we call reality is questionable. Is it real? Because at the end of my near-death experience, when I felt reality reassembling itself, it really did feel like this wasn't real. In fact, I read a really, really good book recently. It's by Donald Hoffman. And he's a scientist who's come up with a you know, theory, scientific, you know, a mathematically sound theory on, and the name of the book is The Case Against Reality. You should check into it. It's really something to look at. So was this a hallucination? You'll never convince me it was a hallucination because I was there. But having a near-death experience, in some ways, it made life more difficult for me. There were times when I felt so alone, I couldn't talk about this with anybody. I felt like I was a space alien stuck on a world that I couldn't relate to. So I felt like I didn't belong. And it wasn't until I started talking about it with other people and processed it that I was able to reconcile and find a place where all of that kind of works. For example, I was told that I could come back anytime once I fulfilled my purpose. 
Like, what is our purpose? Why are we here? It's sometimes kind of seem pointless, right? I mean, I got my stupid job, my stupid boss. And what is all this? And in that state where everything was made out of love, it was intense and infinite love, but it was more like potential. So I know what our purpose is. Our purpose is to love. That's what we are. That's what we do. We're here to love. And love is not a simple emotion. Like when we use the word love, it's like these warm, fuzzy feelings I have, but that's just one aspect of love. The complex part is that there it was obvious. Everything was made out of love. This is all love. And so our purpose here is to do that, and it can be difficult to do cleanly. But we're here to love with skin on and fulfill that huge potential that it was like there. But I think a lot of people who are watching these videos are in grief. They've lost someone they love, and they're trying to piece it together. What? What is the afterlife? What is, is there such thing? Does, is my dad still here? And I've been through it too. I mean, it, it hurts when I lose someone that I love. It's just part of me and human. There's a big blank space there. It's like, I want some answers. And I've grown really comfortable with just saying, I don't know. I don't really know. I can tell you what happened. I can tell you what I got out of it. But I don't really need any answers anymore. I don't. And I think we approach death the wrong way. And first of all, it's something that we don't talk about. I was talking to a family member recently, and she's 90 years old and he's 100. And I asked the question, do you talk, do you talk about death? And she said, no, that is not something we talk about because it's, it's the big ugly. I think a lot of people are also very afraid. When you lose someone you love, there's this void there. There's like, they're gone. So we try to fill in those blanks because in human emotions, there's no place for a void. We don't even know how to picture one. So it's like a vacuum. And I know because I've been through it when, when my brother died, even though I've had a near death experience, I still had the same emotions. I wonder if my brother's still alive. I wonder if I can communicate with them. And I was going to like mediums, you know, to, these are people that say they can talk with dead people. I was doing all the same stuff because I had a really hard time with the idea that my brother was gone. But I wonder if we could approach death differently. It's part of life. I lost a friend last year, a very close friend, and I watched what he went through before he died. He had cancer. It's an awful thing. It was a terminal cancer, and he was sick and miserable. And then he died. 
and it was terrible loss for his wife. She is in such grief still now. But I wonder if we talked about it. I wonder if we approached it as, you know, this is something we do, that maybe some of that would soften. That would be my hope. Life and death are the same thing. It arises from the same point. Now, during my near-death experience, there was this part where I was shown who I really am. And in that state, the I am that I am, I found out that who I really am is a magnificent, powerful, all-loving manifestation of the divine. That's who we really are. And I think about this, I think, okay, when I die, who is it that's going to die? Does Raymond have an afterlife? Well, you know, Raymond is my story, right? Raymond the artist, Raymond the music, you know, my grandpa, you know. Raymond is the ego. That's a sort of a system of stored memories. Does that story continue after I die? I don't know. I don't think it's that important. But who I really am? Absolutely. So my brother who died, is he still alive and well? Absolutely. He's just in a different state. And I've, I've thought about this recently because we have a family friend who is my wife's lifelong buddy since college. But Julie, about a year and a half ago, started showing signs of dementia. Now she's young, 64, 65, something like that. And she has a disease, I can't remember the name of it, but it's much, much worse than Alzheimer's. And within a year, she is not Julie anymore. Now she was just institutionalized because she thinks she's a space alien and the people around her are rats. This is not the Julie that we've known our whole lives. It's really odd. She started speaking with a Louisiana Cajun accent. <laughs> She's not from Louisiana. Where did that come from? So who are we really? A lot of our experiences are brain. When our brain gets sick, my friend Julie doesn't resemble the person that I've known, right? When she dies, She's not going to be Julie anymore. She's I am that I am. So the core essence of who we are lives forever. But sometimes people contact me. Some of them are suicidal. And I am not qualified. I just, I, I don't know what to tell people like that. That's like, I'm not qualified to really handle that situation. People can get really depressed. That happens to everybody. And one of the many things I learned from my near-death experience is how to be in the present moment, how to be now. That's really where I find my peace. I think when I get upset about something, my anxiety is in direct proportion to my inability to be with what is right now, right? But when I am in the present moment, 
I'm there. I'm a musician. I've been gigging musician my entire adult life. I still play. And when I'm playing music, the world disappears. I'm only in the moment. No past, no future, just right there. And there are other ways, not, not everybody can play music, but there are other ways that we can do this. Something with rhythm, like people who meditate will tell you that it's your breath. It's the rhythm of your breath is where you'll find that present moment awareness. And it takes repetition and practice, a lot of it. But I know that, that it's there. There are other ways, like maybe you've had a brilliant athletic performance that you've done that when you're in the present moment only, right? I get it when I walk. When I first started walking, I was, I was thinking, I need to lose weight. But it didn't take me long to figure out that I love to walk. There's a rhythm and a pulse, step after step after step. It's like a trance. And that's those places that we can find peace. I get it when I cook. I'm not in my head anymore. I'm not thinking, just in the present moment. And then my near-death experience, there was a point where I released, I let go, and that's when the white light opened up and all the blissful things happened. And I, that's where we find peace, when we release, when we get to the point where we're not thinking anymore. That's where we'll find our peace. And that's available to everybody. Anyone can do that. Try walking. Find the rhythm. There are times when I'm playing music. This might sound odd because <laughs> when you think of playing music, we're playing notes, right? Musical notes. But there are also intervals between the notes. There's empty space between this note and that note. Sometimes I'm playing notes and it's a trance-like state. I can flip my brain and I am playing those holes between the notes. I'm playing holes. It's just such a cool thing. And that's part of the dualistic uh, nature of, of everything. There's note, there's not note. It only is a note compared to the silence in between them. There's a lot of peace there. I can also do it when I'm painting. I'm actually a wood carver. I'm not a painter. I carve things out of wood. You've probably seen my work before at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. That's where most of my wood carvings are. And I found out that everything happens now. We have this idea that the present moment is created by the past. Like, because I got up this morning, I went for a walk, and then I had a bite to eat, and then I did this interview with you, that this interview is happening because of these events in the past. I found out it doesn't work that way at all. It's not a series of events. Everything happens now. Matter of fact, if you look at it the right way, the experience felt like the opposite. The present moment creates the past, which is really weird, but it's true. We can do an experiment right now, and I'll show you. It's like, I'm gonna snap my fingers, okay? That snap is now in the past, but it happened now. 
We create the past by what we do right now. Pretty trippy. But it, that that is true. So when we can find those now moments, that's where we'll, we'll find our greatest peace. Create your past with what you do right now. So what do I think about the state of the world? And is there a new awakening coming, new consciousness coming? I certainly hope so. Because looking at the state of the world sometimes can look pretty bleak. Especially when it comes to the evil things in the world that are obviously there. But I do think that we forget who we really are. I am that I am. We've forgotten who that is, right? And we're in this life that is very realistic. But my best guess is that what we call reality is God is playing peekaboo with his or herself, hiding, pretending like, you know, all this is like very real, very convincing. But once in a while, God will say peekaboo and show us who we really are. And I think we've forgotten. I think that that's the state of the world, the, the obvious conflict and suffering that's in the world is we've forgotten who we really are. Now, is there a new birth of a new consciousness coming? I, I, I wish I had the answers. I, I hope so. I can usually find the beauty and the good and the magnificence in just about anything. So, yeah, I have hope. I do. Let's just, it's all going to be love. That's where it is. That's where we're going to find it.